Well, I'm Frank Hedrick, and I am your children's ministry director, so um, watch out. <laughs> and though I was going to give a little update on that, because we have probably uh, twice as many servants that serve in the children's ministry than we have kids. So, and we have a lot of big rooms there. So I, I pray that the, and I know the Lord's going to fill that up, and we're 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 going to be well prepared for what he's got to do. So the ministry is doing well and growing and uh, just delighted to see that. As you can see, uh, Pastor John is not here today and we are blessed to have Pastor John. How many say, how do you like to say that? Well, I'm his father-in-law, I'm a little partial. And he's, under, he's got, uh, uh, been under my scrutiny for quite a while, so he's doing really good. I can tell you that he's doing really good. All right? He's uh, excellent. What a great father, a great servant, a great husband. Uh, just, uh, just continue to pray for him. That would be a great thing. So let's uh, dive into Psalm 102 this morning. We read it. I read the whole thing, and it's a long one, right? No, 119 is a long one. 117 is a short one. But this one's good. This is one of the many messianic psalms sprinkled throughout the psalms as it looked forward to our Christ coming. And I'm going to talk a lot about him at first. Is this about him? It's interesting. If you look at this psalm, if you go back to Psalm 95 and look all the way up to 107, you're going to see some pretty amazing beginnings of psalms recorded over and over again. Oh, let us sing to the Lord. Let us bless the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Oh, the Lord reigns. Let's sing a new song to the Lord. And this guy says, oh, we're in 102. <laughs> There's none of that in there at the beginning. What a great contrast because we start out our psalm with a depressed, discouraged, struggling psalmist. How, how, have you ever been there? Come on. You're lying if you're not raising your hand. Come on. It's okay. I go there about every other, every other hour, but that's okay. This psalm is really, as I look at it, uh, really sums up the ups and downs of life and why we struggle so much sometimes when the things aren't going like we had planned or thought that they should. And hopefully through our little uh, teaching here, we'll get you, the, as the psalmist did, is in the end of his triumphant a faith-driven talk comes to the conclusion that the Lord has got it all under control, and we can rest in that. But this psalm is about our Savior, who suffered the worst up and down that any of us could imagine. Can you imagine? He came from heaven. Hello? He created the heavens. It says in Isaiah that God holds... The span of the universe between right here. <laughs> and he comes as a baby, the most vulnerable, exposed creature, helpless. Wow, that's an up, that's a down. He laid aside his power and his glory. He's got angels singing all around him. And then he comes down there and he's got a cow mooing and the sheep's there going, ah, ah. He came as a helpless baby. He created us, and we have rejected him. 
Crowds of thousands followed him in his ministry, right? He's on the top. They want to, they want to make him king. All the way going to his disciples fleeing from him, leaving him alone. His friend betrays him to his enemy with a kiss. Kind of an up and a down. A little bit? A little bit. I think so. But this really psalm is about victory and about God's sovereignty and about God's plan for our lives and how his purposes fulfill themselves through our ups and downs. The whole thing is, things are going to change for me, but nothing changes for him. I get confused and disoriented, and he's never confused and disoriented. It's all according to his plan. He's in control. His, he has got the victory. God sent his son that we would have that same victory. Christ came. He suffered in humiliation only to come back with great victory. So his up and down, see, his up and down is our up and down. And our down and our up. And I like to say, you know, why? Why is this going on? Why did this certain circumstance go on? Why is this happening in my life? You got a great up. You bought a brand new car and it's all shiny. And somebody just puts a big old door ding right in it within the first week. You're like, oh, here's your up and down. We're silly. We get attached to things. Why is this happening? I think we only need to look to Christ. Because isn't that what he said? If we listen to him, he says, deny yourself. Forget about yourself, because now you're going to fold yourself into the plan of God instead of your plan. Because do you guys have plans? I got a plan for vacation. I got a plan for retirement. I got a plan for this. I got a plan for that. And I got a plan for everything. And God says, forget your plan. My plan. I'm to come in and fold underneath that and come into underneath the wings of his protection and his guidance and his direction. He says, then pick up that cross that's in front of you that says, no, do I really have to do this? Remember Jesus in Gethsemane? Do I really have to do this? He didn't say, why do I have to do this? See, that's be us. You notice, Jesus, I don't think Jesus ever said, why? Not your will, Lord, but your will be done, not mine. So he says, deny yourself. Pick that up in front of you. I, I want my plans. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be who I want to be. I want to be the captain of my ship. That's the, that's the origin and the, and the foundation of sin. Self-determination. And then he says, now follow me. Now I'm going to follow him. If we're going to follow him, what are we following? His, his ups and downs. And we should understand if God's tearing something down, it's only that he can, might build it better. He doesn't tear down just to tear down. And he likes to get us in a point where we understand who we are. Who's in charge here? Read Romans 3. You know what it tells you? There's nobody good. Not one. No, not nobody understands. No one seeks after the Lord. They have all turned aside, and there's none that does good. No, not one. And that's the that's the the offense of the cross. I don't want to hear that. I got good plans. I'm a good person. I go to church and I have my little plans. 
I think I'm okay. But God likes to expose that and put his thumb on that because you you don't have it under control. You're not good, and there's nothing good about you. There's nothing good about me and my flesh. The only thing good in us is him working in and through us. I had a picture. You know, you struggle with sin. You go, you know, oh, what do I do that or this and that? And, and the picture the Lord gave me was this. If you had black tar, who's experienced tar? Who's roofed a, a <laughs> pretty nasty? And then I do that goop up on the roof, and then it's on my, the, my back. I don't know how it got there, but it gets everywhere. And we think we have this little smudge of black here. What the Lord showed me, just I'm full, we're full of it. We're covered in it. And we're, you're going to stand before him and try and clean up a little bit? It's, we're hopeless. He came to redeem that. Because God sent his son because he loved the world so much. And while we yet hated him, he died for us. That's who he is. We hated him. It's, in us, it's inside of us to reject him, refuse him, ignore him, but he's come. He's come to redeem us. And without him, we have no escape, no opportunity, no power. And we won't find the peace that we so desperately need. This psalmist at the beginning is looking for peace, isn't he? He's, he's wiped out. So I don't care how many pills you take, how much money you have, how many vacations you got, how many houses you own, it it ain't going to bring the peace that you need. Our Messiah has gone before us. He has suffered, and his suffering produced something beautiful. If you follow the sequence, the cross produced victory, and and it's beautiful. Right? So hang in there. Right? His low is our low. His high is our. He, he's, bringing us, he's bringing us along. And again, it's not our victory. It's his victory. We're caught up in the train of a conqueror, it tells us in 1 Corinthians. If we receive his grace by faith, he adopts us into his family, and his victory becomes our victory. We're benefactors of that victory and the peace that comes with that as I wrestle with the ups and downs of life. He's the same. He's my anchor. He's my rock. So I can stop right here and we can sit down and that's it. Right? Well, but I'm getting paid by the hour. I have my contract. I have to do the whole thing. So, And I haven't preached. I preach once a year whether you like it or not. So here I am. So I, got, I told John a couple hours, hour and a half, I'll be done. So when it comes to our distress, as we see our psalmist, we ask her, he's basically asking why, what's going on? I was up and now I'm down. I love 1 Peter, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing was happening to you. But rejoice to the extent that you are a partaker of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. There's joy, there's gladness, there's fulfillment, there's peace in the presence of the Lord and in his submitting to his plans. His plans, not my plans, his plans. 
I'm fascinated. There's lots of reasons why we, we, uh, we struggle with what's going on, because we like to nest, don't we? We like our little world all ordered and structured and taken care of, and I want this. What does the news do? Do we... The snowpack is down a foot. We, I don't know if we're going to make it because we average this. What? We, oh, the word average? So every year we're supposed to have this amount of snow or that amount of rain, and if we don't, oh, we're all going to die. How many of you, you ever figure that out? How do you get an average? <laughs> Up and down, and you make an average. But no, everything's supposed to be like this all the time. Well, it is at home. I set my thermostat, 72, Woo. 68. Oh, my shower. Oh, I just, boop, I put it right where, ooh, right. Mm -mm. How do you get warm? How do you get a warm water? Where, where does that come from? The warm water tray somewhere? Now, see the old faucets. Who knows the old faucet? There's a cold handle and a hot one. Hot came out of here, cold came out of here, and you made you made it warm together. Now we have a little thing that mixes it in there. Now, if you're really old, the showers, now our showers are all, you know, it all goes through the manifold, and it has a little protector in there, so you won't get scalded because water pressure drops somewhere. Somebody flushed the toilet, and all the cold water was gone, and now you're getting scalded in the shower. Whoever done that? You, you, huh? Uh, you're old enough? Isn't that great? Or somebody turns the hot water on and then it's, you're freezing. What a great reminder about life, right? We just want to modulate it all and it's monochromatic. This, everything's the same because I like to nest. Well, that, that, God's not into averages, right? So the artificial settings that we place in our lives, the status quo is nonsense. But I, I, we struggle with that. Everything was going good, Lord. How come you turned it? What happened? You just flipped the boom. You dumped me over. And just look at what God's created. Hmm. There's different seasons. <laughs> wow, winter. I love winter. Well, why do we have to have summer? I just don't know what's going to And we, he moves us along, right? The sun gives way to what? Darkness. Flowers bloom. Oh, I love my flowers. They should just stay around for, for all the time because I really like them. Well, then they die. So I'll just tell you, whatever you're experiencing now, joy or sorrow, being bound or free, I'll guarantee you that your change is coming. Christ's defeat came only through, his victory came only through his defeat. And the Lord has made a way for us. Matter of fact, a, a transformation is coming. Did you know that? The Lord puts it in nature for us. What does that ugly little caterpillar turn into? That's a true metamorphosis there. So no ugly, slow, cumbersome caterpillar, no butterfly. With the up comes the down, with the down goes the up. 
A seed is planted. How do you plant a seed? How many are gardeners? You throw that seed up in the air and wait for it to grow? Nah. You put your little thumb on there and you bury that seed. And then poop, 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 poop. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered him saying, An hour has come when the Son of Man should be glorified. How is he going to be glorified? He's going to tell us. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates this life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor to have life in us, we have to be dead to our own plans and our own purposes and my own way. That's the essence of sin. Sin can manifest itself in a beautiful thing or an ugly thing. Oh, he's a, he's a good uh, uh, philanthropist, or how do you say that word? He likes to give stuff away. He's a great guy, but his heart's not right. doesn't matter because he's self-determined that. He's in rebellion against God's government and his rule over his life. But only not, so we see it in nature. We see how God created us. You see his creation, how it is. Then we have a great cloud of witnesses that tells us in Hebrews 11, men and women that have gone before us that we could see how the ups and downs worked out in their life. How about Job? How'd that work out? Woo, he's up here. Nobody's like Job. He tells Satan, no, there's nobody on this planet like Job. Wham. Job's like, ooh, what just happened? How about Joseph, David, the Apostle Paul, riding along on his little horse? Whoop, we'll, we'll be fixing that. He turns our defeats into victory through his son. So, all that to say, let me say this about that. All to say this, let's dive into our song. We got another hour, so we're good. Quickly, three sections or movements in this psalm. So verses 1 through 11 is what? His complaint, his hopelessness, his despair. Verses 12 through 22, his faith and hope exhibited. And 23 through 28, a good little recap and summary of his dilemma and suffering to victorious hope. So here, here in my own words, or so what he says in the first 11 verses, I'm troubled. I'm consumed in a fire of adversity. My heart's discouraged and my energy's withering. I'm feeling all alone with enemies attacking all around me. No matter what I do, it's of no help and it provides no relief. God has turned the tables of my circumstance upside down and I amount to nothing as I slowly decline. You ever feel like that? Come on. Preach it, brother. So verse 1 and 2, he's asking the Lord for help. Some interesting things here. Look at verse 2. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Where is, where is he focused? When I'm in distress and I'm struggling, where do, ooh, my whole vision goes like this. I can block the sun with a dime. 
I hold it close enough to my eye, I can block the sun. <laughs> he looks so inwardly, we get so depressed, so discouraged, and we're looking inside of ourselves, and there's nothing there. He's trying to pull water up out of an empty well. He's trying to open up the cupboard, and there's no food there. He's Now he's begging, and he's looking out to the Lord. But here's his focus, and that's the rub. God's plans and purposes and timing has nothing to do with us. He did not consult me or you about how he's going to order your life and the circumstances that come, every single circumstance. That nail in your tire, that annoying coworker, I don't know. I don't have any of those. But he doesn't ask our permission. And that's what we struggle with. What's going on? Why does this have to happen? And it's because we've become so short-sighted. I'm confused, frustrated, and I get angry. Because God's plans and perspectives are much larger. If I look, I need to look up, and we're going to see him do that. So he says, my heart's stricken and withered. I'm groaning in verses 4 and 5. What's that sound like? Sounds like depression to me. How many of you have ever suffered depression? You're lying if you're not raising your hand. I can say that. Here's a great quote from Oswald Chambers. If we, never, if we were to never be depressed, we should not be alive. It's the nature of a crystal never to be depressed. A human being is capable of depression. Otherwise, there would be no capacity for exaltation. Always take into account the capacity for depression. It's not a sin to be depressed. We're seeing this right here. You're going to get depressed. And it, you know what it does? It, it, it's going to widen. It can, if we let it, take us to that place where we can't do it. And I have, there's only one, way to, one place to look. Huh. Right here, the cupboard's empty. There's no well. There's no water in the well. I have to turn to the place where there's resources. He makes us turn and look to him. And you're panicky and fretful and depressed and discouraged. And the Lord says, oh, so glad to hear from you, Frank. It's been a while. Hmm. No problem. He's not distressed. He's not troubled. I like in verse 6 and 7, he uses birds here. A pelican, an owl, and a sparrow. This is powerful imagery here. Beautiful, beautiful poetry. He said, even if I was a bird, I'd feel he's, what did we say? He's depressed. You're going down into a hole, into the darkness. He's talking about birds that can fly. Even if I could fly, I'm going to end up in the wilderness. I'm going to end up in the desert. And I'm going to end up on top of a roof all by myself. When you're depressed, you're the, you're the only one you're thinking about. No, no one else has gone through what you're going through. Not. He says, no matter where I go, I'm alone. And of course, we're, we are social creatures. We're sheep. We're, we're designed to be together, right? We need that because I'm defenseless. We're, sheep are dumb and helpless. They have no, there is no defense for them. And in our weakened position, where, what do you think our enemy does? We saw it as the, as the children of Israel exited out of Egypt, and as they went, there were some stragglers that got away from the group. 
They got isolated, and they were getting picked off. Bam, bam, bam. Satan loves to pick us off. He loves to get us off to our own self and our own little world, our own little cubby, and no one understands how terrible it is or whatever it is, and I'm wringing my hands, and I'm, full, I'm all by myself. Here he comes, and now in verse 8, my enemies reproach me. The adversary swoops in. This is the pattern. And it happens over and over again in and through our lives. We have internal pressures. Now we have external pressures. Fiery darts from the pit of hell are shot at you. That's what's coming. You're going, wow, that's, that's exciting. <laughs> I'm depressed and discouraged, and now the enemy's just pounded on me. Notice the words, all day long. Where is he? He's right in the moment. He can't see a minute ahead of him. He can't see the bigger picture. He's just focused on himself. Again, beautiful poetry in nine. I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. He's eating nothingness. Ashes is a result of something that got consumed. It's nothingness. Remember Job sitting and he's, got, he's throwing ashes on him, representing I have nothingness. There's nothing here. He's drinking distress and sorrow like water. Wow, what beautiful, what imagery given to us. And he has no strength or power to respond in a healthy way. He's running to the end of his resources, and I say amen, and I need, we need to say that. We come to the end of ourselves, and sometimes it takes this kind of a process to get to the end of yourself to say, I need to look up now. It's time to go to the place where there's resources. Whoever read the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Right? I'll go to my little cubby, and I get my cheese where I always get it. And now the Lord just, whoop, gone. Where's my cheese? Remember the old vending machines? You put a quarter in, that was a quarter. <laughs> Pull the handle, boom, boom. And out comes the candy bar. Well, you put your quarter in, you pulled the handle, and nothing's coming out. Man, I'm mad. What's going on, Lord? You've always provided here. I've always done this. This is the way I've always done it. And Nothing's happening. What happened? Where did you go? That's what he's asking. Where are you? All day long, focused in there. Verses 10 and 11. He knows God's, God's doing this. Maybe that's his first recognition now. He's going to start to look up because he recognizes God is a part of this up and down in my life. I took his eye. He's just for the moment here, and it's going to grow, but he needed to get that realization that what's going on in my life right now that I don't like, and I wish it was gone, and I wish I felt better. God's in that. Hmm. And he, this is the whole crux of the psalm is really, you've lifted me up and you've cast me away. The old King James says, you lifted me up and you Push me down. Lift me up, turn me upside down. Again, 
Where do we see uh, my days again? Verse 11. So he goes this little bit of recognition about the Lord right back to himself again. So there's this struggle going on. But the Lord's going to win here. My days are like a shadow that lengthens. So he's just saying it's getting the deeper. It is, the longer this goes on, the deeper it's getting. The harder it's getting. Because something has to die in us. Does that seed get planted? Something, it has to die first before it can grow. My sin of self, the, uh, the big I, me, myself, and I needs to die. And it dies little bits at a time. That's the process of sanctification. And he's working that out in this, this man's life and our lives. Something has to die so that something might grow and bring life. Okay, so that was the fun part. 12 through 22, he just comes to the realization, he says, but you, Lord, this is by faith. Nothing's changed, right? He didn't open the mailbox, and he was the publisher's winner, and he's got you know thousands of dollars a month coming to him, all out of nothing. No, nothing has changed, but he's beginning to change. And he's beginning to look up, and he says, but you, he's, this is the first time he really looks up off of his day to something bigger that's eternal. He says, but you, Lord, yet you shall endure forever and the remembrance of your name to all generations. You are faithful, and you are there, and your plans are eternal, mine are temporal. And did you catch the difference between today and forever? Now he says forever. Huh. His perspective is changing quite a bit. Sometimes we get dug in a hole of depression and despair and, and hopelessness, and we try to dig our way out. There's no digging out. The more you try, it's like quicksand. The more you're going to sink down. The harder you try to maintain this, try, you'll go to that cupboard I don't know how many times. There's still no food here. Clunk. And 10 minutes later, you'll be back looking at this because you don't have any resources. He's changed completely. His whole perspective is beginning to change because he looks up. There's my resource. There's my hope. There's my anchor. There's my rock. He says, you will arise. Now listen to this. For the time to favor, yes, the set time has come. Anybody remember Ecclesiastes 3 in the little song? There's a season and time for every purpose. He's got a big long list in there, doesn't he? At the right time, in the right season, and in the right circumstances, God hears our prayers and answers them and comes when his, he's ready, not when I'm ready. Lord, this trial has been for a month. I can't take it anymore. If you read the story of Joseph, which is fascinating to me, after he interprets, if you know the story, the, the baker and the butler, the baker gets the whack. The butler gets a reprieve. He gets to get his position back. And as he's leaving, Joseph says, Oh, dude, remember me. 
I remember I told you this was going to happen. I've been, I've been locked up in here some 17 years, we think. Some 14, depends on how you do your math. Please remember me. The guy says, sure, no problem. Hmm. What do you think the first week or month? I think the first week, every time he hears the door cell, the door of that jail cell open up, he's going, I'm out, I'm out. Woo, he told the Pharaoh and I'm going to get out. And they're letting somebody else in. That first week, second week, third week, how about a month later? Every time that door opens, how anxious is he to see? Who's, is, is, am I going to get out? Do you know he was there for two years? We don't know why he was there for two years. I think I know why, because after two years, that's when it was time for Joseph to go from the prison to second in command of all of Egypt in a moment of time. But if you're Joseph, you're sitting there for two years, the guy forgot him. Forgot all about him. He wasn't going to get out. No way, no how. I don't know why the Lord put you through what he put you through. He does, and when we get there, we'll know all that we need to know. God is going to rise at the set time has come. That's where we fold into the promises, into the plan, and the purposes of God for our lives, and that's where we find fellowship. Jesus said, where I am, my servant is with me also. He's in there with you in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your loss, in the midst of your illness, in the midst of all the things that we go through, because we all go through it. He's there. The promise of the Redeemer is here, and he's with us. And right, and at the last here, he says, again, beautiful poetry, for your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor in her dust. There is pleasure and favor in your ups and downs. You know what a stone is, right? It's a rock. And we know what dust is, right? That's when the rock has been dismantled down to nothing, into powder that could go, <sighs> you can't do that with a rock. So when you're up and you're rock and you're found and you're, everything's going fine and everything's under control and you feel like you're fixed and everything's going to go fine, sand's coming. But there's pleasure and favor in the midst of that because you're with him. For the Lord shall build up. He's torn down, but he promises to build up. He doesn't tear down for nothing. He tears it down so that he can rebuild. He's going to get this man and our lives in order, get our eyes off of ourselves and our plans, and get it refocused back up to his. Beautiful poetry here. Pleasure and favor and being built up. In 19, he says, he looks down from the height of heaven. From heaven, the Lord views the earth. God knows your situation. God has designed and ordained your particular situation and what you're facing. Sometimes I go to prayer to try and inform him of my trouble. I've got a, my rent's due and I have no money. And I'm at the mailbox and there's not, the check hasn't come. Where are you? Don't you know I need to pay my bills? And we're kind of, we don't we instruct him? 
He knows. He knows that you need before you ask it. So why does he have you ask it? Because he wants you to get your eyes off of yourself and look to him. He's the resource. He's our hope. He's our joy. We're fellowshipping with him. God's going to regard the prayer to the generations that come. As long as there's people on this planet, the Lord is faithful to those people. What's been torn and broken down can be rebuilt. And he does hear our prayers and the ups and downs. He looks from heaven and from his height. His perspective is so much bigger than ours, right? At the right time. Can we trust him until then? Can we? When Jesus said, when I come back to the earth, am I going to find faith? Hello? Doesn't anybody trust me? I think I've been pretty faithful. So as we end up here in verses 23 through 28, wow, I'm doing good. Right on time. He's going to recap here. He says, the Lord weakened my strength in the way because he was strong. And then now he found himself weak. I was up and now I'm down. He shortened my days. He's fixed on days again, recounting what he's learning. And look at verse 24. I, I said, Oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. But now he finishes off, but your years are throughout all generations. Look at the fabulous, powerful picture and contrast that gives us. He's going from days, I, I, I was just looking at the days, Lord. I was just looking at myself. I was just, I wasn't trusting you. I was looking at my own resources, but now I'm looking to you. And now my hope is in you. And now I know, I know Lord, that I can have joy and pleasure and peace in the midst of my struggle. Verse 25 and 26. Now, I love this. This is going to be like the, this is like the punch, the final boom from the Lord. The sun rises in the, what, east, sets in the west. We have seasons. We have natural movement throughout our planet, and you think that's very fixed, don't you? And now we have people that tell us that we're going to destroy the earth. Hmm. I have something to say about that. Of old, you laid the foundation. Who, who, who made the earth? The Lord said, I, he said, I made the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands, Lord. They will perish. What we see here is going to be gone. But you will endure. He's going to stay the same. My, this world is going to, not going to be what we think it is, what it is now. They will be changed. That's what he says here. Here's the exclamation point. If you think the world's solid and fixed, well, that's, this is, you know, I'm on firm ground. Anybody been in an earthquake? Pretty unnerving. You're like, this, this isn't supposed to move. But it's moving. <laughs> God's saying here, I made it, I'm taking it out. Is, can we destroy the earth? Can man destroy the earth? No. It's reserved for God to destroy it, not man. Definitively. Positively. No exception. Right? How to put it this way. 
your uh, 12-year-old son. He didn't clean his room, so he didn't get dessert. He's mad. He says, well, I'm going to light this house on fire. But you're omnipresent, and you know exactly what he's doing, and you say, okay, go ahead. What would you do? No, you don't. Boom. You don't get to do that. This is not your home. God said, I made it. It's my, I get to take it out when I want to take it out at the right time, right? The Lord's coming. Amen? And he's going to turn this, this world into something different. It's going to grow old, and it's going to be changed like a cloak. For him, I'll put on another jacket. Now, how hard is that? What a picture. You find this, the psalmist is finding comfort and strength that the Lord's plans are going to be fulfilled in verse 27, but you are the same and your years will never... He doesn't mention days now. Now he's really in the groove. He's really in, 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 in fellowship with the Lord. He's come under his wing, under God's wing, under his plan, under his ordinances, under his purposes. Because God's looking... Uh, he's in charge of the earth. He's in charge of my life. You're the same, Lord. This is the message of the, saint, of the psalm. Your life is going to change dramatically. And sometimes when we get into that place, and what I had was really great, and now it's gone. So I'm stuck in the moment, and all I can think about is my past. I wish it was this. I wish I had what I had. And I'm always looking back. I'm living in this moment, but I'm not living in the moment. I'm looking at the past. I wish I had this back. I wish I had what I had. I wish I could run again. I can't run anymore. And if I bemoan that, that I can only walk, or whatever, whatever it is, bemoan it, and I'm not enjoying and not having that pleasure and not seeking God in that midst of where I'm at right now, I'm missing out. Or you made some great plans. I've got this, boy, I got to college, I went to this, and I did that, and I'm on the net, and now my next place is right over here, and boom, life goes that way. Now you're in the, you're in the present, but now you're, there's no hope for the future because your plan didn't turn out. And you're going to be miserable and depressed and discouraged until you look up and say, Lord, thank you for your plans. Because that was my plan. Thank you for showing me what I really needed to know. That's the message of this psalm. Look to him. He loves you. He cares for you. He made you. And he has work. And, uh, Ephesians tells you he's got, he's got works for you to do. He's... You are his workmanship. And you know what that word means? You're his poem. And he's got works and things for you to do that he's ordained before the world was even here. He wants us to walk in those. So wherever you're at this morning, blessing or suffering, bound or free, God's the same. He's right there with you. And there's joy in your peace no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. Because he has the beginning and the end right here. Your beginning and end. And there's nothing in there that doesn't go by his plan and his purposes. 
Read Romans 8 again. Is there anything that can separate you from the love of God? Life is a series of ups and downs, seasons of time. That's how God made it. And I can embrace that or I can, I can bemoan it. I can do my own thing or I can follow on and come under him because he's our rock, our high tower, our defender, our provider, our hope, our joy, our peace, and especially our anchor. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. We're thankful for your word. And Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you. And Lord, when those times of depression come, when they do come, Lord, we, we understand them. As Peter said, they, they wouldn't be a surprise to us. But that, Lord, you're in charge. You care for us. You love us. And that, Lord, your plans and purposes will be fulfilled in our lives, no matter what. We're grateful for your care and your love. Bless this church. Bless uh, Pastor John and the family. And just walk us through this life, Lord, with grace, with joy, with pleasure, with favor, as we submit and yield our lives unto you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Psalms serve as a songbook for the church. So this prayer is written poetically and it would have had a tune and you would have been able to hear it. And so we're going to try something. This is maybe the longest one that we've sung in its entirety, but we're going to try to sing this prayer in our own voices as we respond to the word Frank just preached. And so I want to invite you uh, to try to jump in and get the hang of it as soon as you can fairly repetitive, and um, we'll sing this prayer to God. Would you stand together as we try this together? Oh, hear my prayer, Lord, let me cry for help and mercy come to you. When I am faint and in distress, don't hide your face, keep me in view. Oh, hear me when I call to you and answer me, let your ear turn. For my days are like smoke consumed, my bones like glowing embers burn. My heart is withered like the grass, and I forget to eat my food. Because of groaning, I'm reduced to skin and bones, my life's consumed. I'm like a desert now that sits among the ruins, stark aloof. I lie awake, I'm like a bird, a bird As a curse appears I eat ashes as my food And mingle drink with anguished tears Because of your great wrath on me You take me up, cast me aside My days are like deep, deep 
it has drawn near. Your servants pity her great pride. Her stones to them are very
Death. 
these trials give way to glory as we draw our final breath. We will cross that great horizon, clouds behind and life secured, and the call will be the better for the storms that we endure. Christ the shore of our salvation, Yes, amen. Are you holding fast to that anchor? Can I hear another amen? Amen. amen. Yeah. Boy, I think if we're tempted to eat those ashes, let's make sure to turn our eyes to him before we get to that point, okay? So thanks, worship team. Thanks, Frank, for those words. And um, we have just a few things before we, we leave here. And first, I want to call up uh, our youth pastor, David. Uh, the, some of the youth and David and, and some... Uh, Adults have been on a worship, on a mission trip, and David's going to come share. Well, good morning, y'all. Um, yeah, as stated, I was asked to just share a little bit about the Juno trip that we took. Oh, almost a month ago! Wow, that's wild. Um, but yeah, uh, eight students went. Um, I know you guys are. Familiar with two of them, Sophia and Gabby, um, and five adults. We went to Juno. Uh, New Life has, this was our fourth trip going. Uh, New Life has gone beforehand, partnered with a church called Common Ground up there that helps feed lunch to kids in low-income housing. Uh, and while there, we were hosted by Douglas Island Bible Church, who graciously uh, hosted us uh, for the week and just helped uh, with whatever we needed. Uh, but the trip itself, uh, just to try to keep it short, was a blessing for everybody that went. Uh, it was great to see the eight students who went just pouring out their lives into the hearts and minds of these little kids, just to see them playing with them, to see them talking with them, conversing with them, uh, and even sharing the gospel with them. Um, you should all be proud of the people that went. It was great. And I think just, you know, for me, as I think about it, one of the biggest highlights for me was just seeing how all of them, uh, every morning we had devotionals, at nighttime we had debriefs, and throughout the day, you know, we had time of reading our Bibles and praying. And for me, it was just really great to see the ways that um, these teenagers are growing in their love for God, are growing in their own spiritual walks, and just to see how they're wrestling with their own faith was a huge blessing. Uh, made a lot of good memories. It was hard to say goodbye, uh, but we're, Lord willing, we're looking to do it again in the future, um, and we'll see how God continues to work 
with the community up in Alaska. So thank you. Thank you. Just a couple little things before we uh, let you go here. Uh, one is uh, if you filled out those uh, connection cards, you can drop those in the offering box at the back on your, on your way out. And then coming up uh, two weeks from Tuesday, on Tuesday, August 8th, we have an opportunity to uh, spend some time at a dessert with the pilot family. So many of you know the pilots, and if you don't, this would be a great opportunity to get to know them. So that will be uh, Tuesday, August 8th at 7 p.m. And that's going to be a dessert. So remember to bring a dessert to share if you come to that event. So Pastor John always reminds us. Okay, so I'm going to remind us today. The words that Frank shared with us today, they're not meant to stay here. They're not meant just for this hour. They're meant to go out from there in our lives for the rest of this week and the rest of our lives. So uh, take those things that uh, God laid on your heart with you today as you go. And as we uh, leave today, I'd like to leave you with these words from Psalm 16. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen and go in grace.